0: Hello everybody and Kia Ora. In today's session we'll be talking about the core concepts of the National Telematics Framework, TCA's role as an independent technology assessor within the framework, and collaborations between TCA and other key players and stakeholders within the framework. Welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Lucchini, I am a Communications Officer at Austroats. I'll be moderating today's session. I'd like to start by acknowledging the Treaty of Waitangi and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. I also acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. Ostrodes is based in Sydney, and so today I am on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and to their deep and ongoing connection to the land. A bit about Austroads and TCA before we start. Austeroads is a collective of Australasian Transport and Traffic Agencies. Our focus is to support our member organisations to deliver an improved road transport network. TCA is the national organisation that enables improved public purpose outcomes from road transport by providing assurance services related to transport technologies, including administration of the National Telematics Framework. Austeroads and TCA are both governed by the Austeroads Board. A bit of housekeeping. Our presenters today will speak for 30 minutes and then we'll have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The slides can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right hand side of your screen. To send us a question for the Q&A session, please use the question icon on your sidebar. Also, let us know if you have any technical problems. But just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your connection. Closing a browser and rejoining the session via your email registration usually helps. This session is being recorded and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, you can also find Ostroads in the Podbean app. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today. Gavin Hill is the General Manager of Strategy and Delivery at Transport Certification Australia. Tomas Asp is the Senior Specialist at the Swedish Transport Administration and Dr Christopher Walker is the academic director of the Australia and New Zealand School of Government. Unfortunately, Tomas is unable to join us for the live session because of the time difference. His presentation has been pre-recorded. If you have a question for Tomas, please do send them through as you would normally. We will send him these questions and he will respond in writing. The presentation from Tomas is pre-recorded and he won't have a chance to join the live You can, though, access his recording outside of this webinar via the chat bar. Thank you, and over to you, Gavin. Thanks very much, Anthony, and and good afternoon
1: to everyone who's joining us live. And uh, if you're watching us via recorded session, um, welcome also. what I want to do today is to lead in with a presentation around intelligent access. And for some of you, uh, you may have heard me talk recently um, or over recent periods around intelligent access and the National Telematics Framework. Um, and that's been in the context of productivity and safety reforms which have been driven by Ostroad's members, which are Australia's road uh, and transport agencies. But for today's discussion, I'm going to focus in on intelligent access um, as a as a reform, as a vehicle for reform, and a vehicle for uh, uh, digital regulatory reform in particular. Um, what I'll do is progress through these slides, and just to extend on the introduction that Anthony's already given you. Uh, TCA plays a really critical role around the use of telematics and other related intelligent technologies in vehicles. And you might be wondering, what do we mean by that? Uh, Well, it's an important uh, question because when we talk about telematics and other technologies, we're talking about um, the collection of data from vehicles. Which can be used for broader public good purposes. And TCA's role is provide a, um, a sorry, just bear with me. I'm not showing the slides. Um, if the slides aren't appearing, I'm just wondering what I've done wrong here. Uh, there it is. Show my screen. Sorry, everyone. So back to it thanks for the thanks for the update so tca um, provides a central point that works between um, government agencies and technology providers to deliver improved road outcomes uh, through the use of telematics when we talk about telematics we talk about the use of data collection for a range of public good reasons and i'll get i'll get to that a bit more in a moment before we dive into some of the detail, it's probably worth talking about um, what intelligent access is. And as you'll hear from Thomas and Chris later on during this webinar, um, we're talking about the use of technologies to improve the operation of heavy vehicles uh, on the road network. Chris will also mention briefly some of the, um, the uses of intelligent access and how they're moving into other forms of transport as well i.e not being restricted just to heavy vehicles but if we take a step back and talk about Australia's history in this space intelligent access was first conceived as a as a policy idea uh, in the mid-1990s and it came off the back of developments which came about simultaneously back in the 90s and during that time, we saw the emergence of in-vehicle technologies. We saw the introduction of consumer-grade uh, GNSS systems, or commonly known as uh, GPS, global positioning systems. <clears throat> and we also saw the emergence of digital telecommunications in the form of the global system for mobile communications, uh, which is otherwise known as the That's the networks that drive our smartphones in today's world. And from a policymaker's viewpoint, what we saw happen in the 90s was a renewed push to drive a microeconomic reform agenda around uh, productivity and how we could derive greater productivity without compromising safety or asset management through the use of what was then called the Intelligent Access Project. And that project um, involved a number of trials driven out of individual jurisdictions in Australia. And those trials demonstrated that the use of GPS-based technology, uh, GSM and other related technologies could provide an effective um, contemporary way to drive an economic reform agenda involving heavy vehicles and freight on the road network. And if we look back over the last 20 years, what we've seen happen in Australia is, uh, is we've seen intelligent access emerge as an integral part of Australia's regulatory landscape for heavy vehicles. And it's enabled AustRoads members and the road and transport agencies around the country to change and optimise the way that they use the road network um, and how heavy vehicles can be increased, can benefit from increased productivity and efficiency uh, to manage our growing freight task. And it's worth noting that um, policymakers often find themselves with a dilemma when it comes to road transport, and in particular heavy vehicle transport, because we have in this country um, a growing population, we've got a growing freight task based on consumer demand, and We've also got on top of that, um, um, a a big wide country known as Australia, and a distributed um, uh, geography of cities and and urban centers with a range of different population sizes across the country, which need to be serviced by heavy vehicles. So the more we can do to improve the effectiveness of heavy vehicle transport in this country, the more economic prosperous we can be, and uh, the more effective we can manage the road networks across this uh, country of Australia. And as an extension of that thinking, we've seen intelligent access move from what was originally conceived as a compliance-based use of telematics to productivity-enabling applications of intelligent access, which are often referred to as the telematics monitoring application, or TMA for short, um, as well as the road infrastructure management application. And what this demonstrates is that intelligent access in itself um, continues to evolve and reform based on the needs of Australia's road agencies, but also based on the needs of the community. And as an adjunct to those variations and that evolution of intelligent access that we've seen, Um, We've also got additional types of data now being collected through uh, intelligent access reforms in Australia and that includes things like smart onboard mass. Uh, Smart OBM very quickly allows us not just to monitor the movement of vehicles, it allows us to capture the mass of vehicles and the weight they're carrying and from that we can also derive the configuration of those vehicles uh, in which they're moving across the road network. So as you can see, this is a a, a revolution, if you like, in the way that heavy vehicle regulation is managed. And it is a form of digital regulation, which Chris will will talk about uh, further. Uh, Without going into too much detail for now, these different applications of intelligent access um, are summarised on this slide. And time doesn't permit me today to talk about the key differences. But what you can focus in on during today's webinar is the yellow uh, section down the bottom of that table. And it highlights that intelligent access can play a whole range of different use cases, all the way from road use planning and analysis, all the way up to higher risk activities that might require the use of telematics data to be used for compliance and enforcement purposes. So we have, a growth and the breadth of use cases which are taking place through intelligent access. And this is a really important journey that Australia is on. And it demonstrates how after the last 20 years, going back all the way to the mid nineties, how this thinking around intelligent access has con- continued to evolve. And as part of that evolution, we're seeing that other regions globally um, are adopting their own versions of intelligent access. And Chris will speak to this a bit more. And so will Tomas during his presentation in terms of uh, where he'll cover intelligent access um, and their experience in Sweden. But what's important to emphasise here is that despite the differences, the similarities between these different deployments of intelligent access um, are quite similar. And at the core is a managed interaction between authorities, be they road managers or regulators. Um, It involves an interaction with technology providers and involves an interaction with transport operators. And I'll go into this just a little bit more on this slide. Now, some of you, if you've been to other webinars that have been hosted by, by Austroads and TCA, You'll be familiar with this image. What this attempts to do is to distill some of the complexity which underpins the framework, but it goes to the heart of how the framework operates. And it's a framework of different actors. That's a really important concept that underpins every aspect of intelligent access. And if you start from the left hand top, you've got authorities who make decisions around where heavy vehicles can and can't travel across the network. And based on those decisions, they may make um, a condition of access to a heavy vehicle to be monitored through um, um, a variant of intelligent access. And we see that being applied um, more and more across a broad variety of heavy vehicle types and configurations. We have operators down the right hand bottom And operators have an important role here. They are actually the people that move freight. They're the ones that drive trucks around. They're the ones that deliver the consumer goods and produce that we all demand. And those operators also need to conform with um, decisions and conditions that are applied by authorities. And if an operator needs to operate a certain type of vehicle that requires a form of intelligent access, they will speak to a technology provider, which takes us to the left-hand bottom quadrant. Now, all this happens in a nationally harmonised, standardised way. And that's why it's effective as a form of digital regulation. And TCA's role is critical in this space because these managed interactions between those three parties can only happen if you've got standardised approaches to every form of business interaction which takes place between those three parties. I don't want to say any more about that for the moment or during this webinar for that matter because we can have an entirely separate webinar just to talk about some of the mechanics and machinery which underpins this framework. But if you're interested for now, visit our website. There's some useful documents on our website which talk about the key components of the framework. And what's important also as we move into the presentations from Thomas and Chris is that while while the National Telematics Framework and Intelligent Access had its um, origins in Australia, it's now recognized as an international standard. And that international standard um, at its core represents those managed interactions between technology providers, authorities, and vehicle operators. Um, That standard comprises a growing library of different parts and besides intelligent access and besides productivity and safety, there are a whole raft of different applications that leverage these concepts which underpin our understanding in Australia of intelligent access. Now, Chris is gonna talk a bit more about creating public value Uh, through digital regulation and I just want to share this slide with with you today to highlight how public value is created through a managed interaction of different parties and what we've got here are just some of the examples between road agencies, regulators, the transport industry, the technology industry and vehicle and trailer manufacturers and how they all come together as a participant or an actor in the framework to derive improved public outcomes through intelligent access when it comes to productivity, safety and increasingly um, environmental outcomes. And that managed interaction enables us to put higher productivity vehicles on the road. And what we've got here, this is my final slide, just some examples of the kinds of vehicles that road agencies and regulators have been able to accommodate on Australia's road network, which would not have otherwise been possible without this form of digital regulation. And we're quite proud as as Australians to to have led the way in this form of digital regulation, which is now um, inspiring other regions across across the globe to adopt similar use cases and applications of intelligent access. So I'll leave it there uh, for today's webinar. Um, I'll hand over to Chris, sorry, to Thomas, sorry, who will be next up with his pre-recorded video from Sweden. And um, I'll join you all
0: at the Q&A session at the end of the webinar. Thank you.
2: Hello, everyone. My name is Thomas Asp and I work at the Swedish Transport Administration and first I would like to thanks for let, having the opportunity to speak here about understanding the Swedish model of intelligent access. I will talk about three different things the complexities of Swedish road transport, the concept of intelligent access in Sweden and some examples of that and the benefits of an intelligent access program for Sweden and lessons learned from the Australian model. The complexities in Sweden I believe is quite similar to the Australian ones. We are a large country with unevenly distributed population and that makes long distances to travel. We also have a large mining and forest industry with low value goods which cannot bear high transport cost. We have an increasing demands on energy efficiency and we need to reduce the climate impact. And also we have a need for freight transport which increases faster than the capacity. And not at least, but maybe also shortage of drivers. And it's not just in Sweden, it's in the whole Europe, so we can't have drivers from other countries either. So why is intelligent access needed in Sweden? We think it is that authorities must be able to trust that heavy vehicles only drive while they are permitted. And we think the possibilities are getting easier and also cheaper because the vehicles are getting more and more connected. And now if we talk about the cooperation between Sweden and Australia. So it started with that we had a state of the art review in Sweden and we saw early that Australia was in the lead both around intelligent access and performance-based standards so that led to that we had the first meetings and also a visit to Australia 2011 and we also wrote the memorandum of understanding between TCA and the Swedish Transport Administration and the big thing we got through this was that the had a test, a three year test with intelligent access program in Sweden, which included TCA as a back office, transtech, and nowadays Teletrack Norman as a service provider and Sweden, as we said, a seventh state of Australia. We have also after that have ongoing discussions, also including the work with something called CEDAR. It's an organization between all the road authorities in Europe. So we have webinars together and also papers to conferences. So what have we done more about intelligent access in Sweden? We evaluated this IAP test and we saw it. It was a little bit too complicated to introduce in the beginning. In Sweden, so we had a project with a light version of IAP that we first specified requirements and then we have a project we pilots that we tested these requirements. And this has been as a platform for the further work around intelligent access in Sweden. So now we have three ongoing projects, which I will talk a little bit more about later. It's high capacity transport in cities. It is allowing higher weights when the ground is frozen. And it is digital dispenses for abnormal transports. But before I go further to that, I will also say something about what we thought could be the framework for intelligent access and high capacity transport vehicle reforms. And we found four important parts. First, that the roads, bridges and streets are adapted to allow these vehicles. You need to have performance and technical specification for these vehicles. You also need requirements operating these high capacity vehicles on the road networks specified for these vehicles. And we called it access schemes and compliance assurance schemes. I don't have time to go into that now. And we also needed a legal, institutional, and telematics framework for the above mentioned parts. Now we say something about this example project. The first one in cities. It is what we thought that we needed more efficient and also environmentally friendly transport of building materials in cities. So in the pilot, we designed new optimized tracks and new concepts we connected, not just tracks, but also roads and bridges. The challenge as always is the risk that these heavier vehicles may leave the permitted route or driving too fast or something. So we used intelligent access control, including geofencing, of the routes and also speed The <coughs> and next one is about intelligent access for frozen roads in sweden especially in north of sweden the roads are frozen up to half of the year and when it is frozen they can have much higher weight so in this test we are allowing 74 ton tracks instead of 64 ton but the challenge is that the bridges are not having higher bearing capacity when they are frozen. So with the help of gear fencing, we reduce the speed on the bridges because when you have reduced speed, they can have higher weight. And this means that we all involved vehicles need to track the routes and also collect the weight. The last example is about abnormal transports. And I will not talk about this slide in detail, but it's just showing how the system is working. in green different organizations we call it in red it systems and in gray support systems like road work data road database bridge database and vehicle register and you can see this just red. that the weaker system sends a route query to this super trick system in the middle they send a geofence route back and then the weaker system needs to prove And send the GPS track back that they have been on the right road. Now we also say something more about we had a seed project around intelligent access in Europe. Uh, I think it's also connected to what we are doing in Sweden. It's not so much used we could see that, but there is ongoing work and the interest for intelligent access is growing fast. And all the experiences that we already had was positive and all con- countries could also see cases use cases for intelligent access like reaching policy goals such as better compliance and the most interesting data to collect is position and weight and both total and axle weight. that was important the level of reliability should be enough for pre-selection of vehicles we saw that direct enforcement is something for the future we also saw that all countries said that all stakeholders like road and vehicle authorities, policy service providers, and shippers could benefit from intelligent access. So now I will finally say something about the benefits of IP for Sweden and also lessons learned from the an Australian. And it is important to find out which level of compliance you need because different applications need different levels and needs to be different complicated. You need to involve service providers that are different from OEMs. In Sweden, we have Volvo and Scania as very large OEMs, but we also wanted to have others. We need to find out how to collect vehicle data and here is EU regulations, a challenge, especially something called GDPR. But most important, it is this, that it made us aware of all the possibilities with the concept of IP and PBS, so here we are very grateful to Australia and especially TCA for all the work and all the time they are spent learning and uh, introducing things to Sweden and the benefits are of course much more efficient use of infrastructure you could have a better traffic safety and also what I think is important is you have a fair conditions between companies so that was all from Sweden so thanks for listening and if you have questions you can always send emails to me goodbye and have a nice webinar
3: Right, Uh, thanks Tomas and thanks Gavin. Um, G'day everyone and Kira to those from New Zealand who are joining us. Uh, I'm Chris Walker and I'm going to present on the social network analysis that we did of the transfer of the policy idea from Australia to Sweden. I'm conscious of the time so I'm going to try and fly through my presentation and then we'll have uh, time for questions if there's anything further you want me to clarify. So I wanted to talk um, in the presentation, just to explain the research focus and the method. And um, I'll show you um, some sociograms, which are kind of network maps that we developed about different policy actors in the IAP uh, and in the Swedish context as well, and then talk about how that helps us both in understanding policy issues, but what might it mean for road transport agencies um, who have an interest in trying to implement and develop Uh, intelligent access like uh, the example that Tomas just presented. So we're looking, we're very interested as myself and Alex, my Alex Mullis, my colleague who worked on this project. um, Our focus is on um, researching regulation in the heavy vehicle industry. And um, we're particularly interested in policy issues and we want to use social network analysis. One of the interesting issues for the intelligent access project is that um, You know, 12 years ago when Australia introduced, like Gavin said, data Um, and electronic tracking as a way to monitor the performance of the industry. This was incredibly innovative. And you think of now, you know, the way we talk about data and things, uh, it's kind of a generally accepted mode of regulation. But 12 years ago, using digital systems to regulate was incredibly innovative. So there's a high level of interest in the Australian uh, framework. And part of that's got to do with just the high level of efficiency and innovation that is happening in the Australian sector. I expect most people here are familiar with that Um, and so as Thomas said there's been a long history of interest from Sweden uh, in looking at the program and we were interested to do a social network uh, kind of uh, assessment of that to see what that reveals and social network analysis looks at the relationship between different actors in a particular policy area. You try to plot those relationships and get a sense of the level of interaction between actors. uh, And then you generate sociograms. And so the next couple of slides I've got present some of the diagrams that we prepared that uh, give us a representation of what's happening both in Australia and between Australia and New Zealand. And then the critical issue is what does that tell us in terms of understanding how policy ideas and regulatory models like the intelligent access Uh, operate, uh, how we, you might be strategic as a regulator um, in terms of understanding what you might need to do to lift the effectiveness of the program, or in the cases of some of the European countries we've worked with, what they need to do uh, to try and make it operate effectively in their context. So I won't go into the methodology in detail, but we had a very robust method where we engaged a lot of um, transport regulators who were deeply involved in the development of the IAP and also the transfer of the IAP to Sweden and from those discussions we developed uh, spreadsheets where we were asking them questions about who they were engaging with and whether those actors were engaging with other participants in the process and If you're doing social network research, you can use, uh, there's a range of software that you can use to generate sociograms. So this diagram that's on the screen now shows you the Intelligent Access Network for Australia based on our interviews and the data we collected. It doesn't have vehicle operators because there's thousands of vehicle operators. So if we added those, the diagram would become completely um, illegible. But it does give you a sense of sort of the key players and the interaction they have, and what we see in regard to the IAP, it's a very kind of dispersed policy with high levels of interaction between multiple participants. So we've got transport agencies. You, would, Gavin said at you know the beginning, he said there were um, authorities, providers, and operators, and you can see here that there's a high level of interaction between all those participants, and. The network analysis is effective in giving us a sense of an understanding of that dynamics. So what's happening here is we can um, do, change the measure to look at degree centrality and what that tells us is the larger the icon, the more, um, the higher the number of interactions with other participants in the network. And you can see here with, when we uh, look at degree centrality that um, TCA is obviously the largest uh, participant, um, but road authorities are also highly well represented. And then we also have a range of private telematic providers who are both liaising with road providers, uh, road authorities, as well as TCA, and also with other uh, participants and agencies and organisations have an interest. So this tells us quite interestingly that the the regulatory program is highly dependent on multiple players to be effective. It's not dependent on one. If you do this sort of analysis where one party is the key player to drive a particular policy, you would have a much larger um, icon in the center of the diagram with with lots of interaction coming off that. But what we see here is actually quite a, a collaborative program that involves multiple participants. When we looked at the Uh, Connection between Australia and Sweden, and we asked who was dealing with who in trying to transfer policy. We can kind of see a bit of a what we'd call a bow tie gripe diagram where we've got activity on the right which is the Australian base so all these stakeholders had some sort of activity in connecting with Sweden in some way providing information engaging with other actors in the Australian side who were concerned or seeking to pass information to Sweden to help them implement the IAP successfully and on the left side we've got all the um, Swedish actors um, and Uh, You'll remember Tom Ashman mentioned the organization closer and also things like Volvo and Scania. So the difference, the interesting difference in the Swedish case is based on their economy, the heavy vehicle manufacturers, Volvo and Scania, are quite dominant in policy around heavy vehicles. And so you see a high level of participation of private actors like these firms playing a stronger role in policy debate and discussion than you might see in the Australian context. And all this centres around some key participants in the centre, and you can see TCA there is one of the key kind of um, agencies that's connecting all these parties together and if we do the uh, apply the degree centrality measure you can see that TCA expands quite significantly but also we have a private uh, telemedic provider Teletrack Navman who Thomas had in his slides. Interesting so here we have a provider who's interested to see the success of the policy in another context and you know, you can understand from their kind of business and market perspective, seeing the program expand elsewhere is to their advantage. So you can see how they're uh, an active participant in the process. If we take out TCA from the analysis, it's still, still quite a little, uh, quite a level of interaction between both the Australian side and the, new, and the Swedish side um, being facilitated through the provider Teletrack Navman. So that's a quick overview of social network analysis and how you can use it. So what is that, how does that help us? I think it shows us in this particular case, the dynamic nature of the uh, policy uh, framework. We also learned that um, it's not kind of centralized around one particular body. Um, and we kind of see, particularly from the Australian network that TCA is a very influential party in understanding and shaping how, IAP might develop and operate, but it's not the sole determining agency. We could see in those diagrams that there were other influential agencies and kind of that help assist in setting both the limits and what's possible with IAP. Um, When we presented these diagrams to uh, transport authorities in Europe, they were particularly interested in the dynamics between actors because the, uh, the New South Wales the Australian representation of uh, the IAP network gives a sense to them of how it might work in Europe and what they might have to constitute to have an effective um, structure. And so one of the things that we found when we were speaking to a number of European countries, the trialling that they were doing, so Sweden was doing a trial and it was predominantly around almost replicating the model, but there were other trials going on in Italy, the Netherlands, across Europe. And one of the interesting things, for example, the Netherlands, they were very interested in trialing the program, but with a private provider and understanding the working relationship. Because historically in their regulatory framework, it's the government agencies regulating the industry. But here's a model using technology and third parties in a way that's quite unique. And so we see kind of different interests from different states about how they would design and construct the regulatory model. And this sort of analysis uh, assists them in seeing the picture of the whole program and who's involved and how they might interact. So our publication uh, that Alex and I produced on the issue is there on the slides. So if anyone's interested, you can have a look at that. And um, Gavin, myself and Tomas and a number of other colleagues have also um, published papers through the Heavy Vehicle HVTT Conference Network that looks at how this works across Europe as well. And if you're interested, I really encourage you to look that up or we can provide one for you. So I might stop there, Anthony, and uh, we can go for questions if you like.
0: Okay thanks Gavin and Chris and thank you for everyone who has sent their questions through. We do have quite a few so um, Gavin I'll start with you. Um, Do you see a role for the toll network operators like Transurban, the technology used by them and uh, and technology supported through the service providers?
1: Um, thanks, Anthony. Look, uh, it's a good question. I think the short answer is yes, um, and I say that because the the innovation around intelligent access is actually not so much around the technology; it's around the operating model. And and in saying that, intelligent access and the National Telematics Framework and the and the associated ISO standard is all about the relationships between those different actors. So if we talk about the role of toll road operators and technology providers, then we're talking about a relationship between actors. And there's no reason why that relationship can't be established or if it already exists, why it can't be leveraged um, for the purposes of intelligent access. And, And this goes to the heart of the evolution of the framework, because it is an elastic framework in the sense that it changes over time based on different needs. And as other stakeholders move into this environment, then it can adapt organically to those different stakeholders and actors. So yes, the the question is yes. And um, we'd be keen to to talk further um, on that point
0: after the webinar. Yeah, thank you. Um, so Gavin, can you provide some clarity uh, to what is happening with intelligent access in Australia? Um, it seems to many to be winding down here, whilst at the same time, in other regions, it's taking off or seems to be taking off.
1: So this is a really important question um, as well. And what I'll answer it by explaining that, uh, Road agencies in Australia are transitioning from the traditional use of the Intelligent Access Program, which if you go back to my slides earlier in the webinar, we were talking about the Intelligent Access Program as the first variant or first example of Intelligent Access in this country. Now, we're seeing a winding down of the Intelligent Access Program, but we're seeing a rapid increase in the adoption of the telematics monitoring application and the road infrastructure management application, as well as the use of smart onboard maps. So these are different variants of intelligent access. Um, in totality, we've never seen a stronger level of growth in intelligent access in Australia. And where we continue to see month on month an increase in the number of vehicles and transport operators that are moving into the framework Um, and if I can just pick up Anthony just on a point that Thomas made during his presentation he talked about different levels of intelligent access and different use cases Um, this is what we're talking about here in Australia the evolution of thinking around intelligent access has moved beyond the use of telematics for strict compliance and enforcement purposes and it's moved towards an enabler of productivity, safety, and environmental reforms.
0: Great, thank you, Gavin. Uh, Chris, I'll jump over to you for this one. So um, someone's written in asking, uh, can you provide us with some examples of how other countries and regions are managing intelligent access on their road networks?
3: Yes, thank you for that. Thanks for the question. Um, So we've heard from Sweden, um, and it is varied across Europe, but there's high levels of interest. So some of the applications that I'm aware of, so in the Netherlands, they commenced a pilot in uh, 2022. I'm not sure if it's complete yet, but that pilot was working with a few vehicles and the telematic provider that I mentioned, uh, and they were trying to test the model. So they were interested in uh, a small number of uh, freight vehicles that were testing sort of how they could monitor, infrastructure, but also how the relationship would work. Uh, In Estonia, they have a similar thing to what Tomas mentioned about frozen roads, Uh, and basically with climate change, they're noticing the period of frozen roads to carry extra weight is contracting. So they're trying to have an intelligent system that monitors that season, and that's where their timber trucks, just like in the Sweden example, uh, can go from 52 tonnes to 64 tonnes. You've got um, a whole range. Of, in Italy, they're using intelligent access for dangerous goods vehicles um, and trying to monitor their performance there. And they've got another pilot that I'm aware of that's looking at kind of connecting the vehicle with um, time sliding it into um, arrival time at uh, docks and things like that for deliveries. So that's pretty commercial, I think, in terms of um, logistics. But the main thing to note in the European context, they're both interested in efficiency, but they're interested in productivity connected to greenhouse gas reductions. So Europe has a 30% commitment to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from the transport sector by 2030. And so that's putting a lot of pressure on the heavy vehicle industry to improve its efficiency and reduce its uh, environmental impact. And so a lot of the trials that are going on and the kind of interest is both in delivering higher levels of efficiency, but measurable reduction in uh, greenhouse gas emissions.
0: Thanks, Chris. Um, I'm conscious of the time, but we have one question left. So I might throw it over to you, Gavin, um, but if you want to contribute, Chris, feel free. Uh, So as an example, excuse me, so as an example of digital regulatory reform, what lessons can be derived from Australia's experience with intelligent access?
1: Okay, there's a lot to unpack in that question. Uh, I think the lessons learned. let me think about this. Look, like in terms of any program of reform, um, in whatever capacity, in whatever form it takes, whatever its origins are, it's the ability to bring people together and to bring stakeholders together. And if I reflect on where we've been with Intelligent Access over the last 20 years, and I should have said during my presentation also Anthony, the the IAP as the first version of Intelligent Access became operational in 2008, despite the fact had its origins somewhat earlier than that as a as a concept and a policy proposal but if we if we start from the mid-90s through to 2008 and through to 2023 today it really is the ability to derive a positive value proposition between different stakeholders and at its heart that's what Australia has been successful in delivering through this digital reform. Um, We've been able to deliver improved outcomes uh, on the road network by enabling productivity reforms that benefit the transport industry. That can't be underestimated. And because the transport industry responded positively to those reforms, then that pulled through, a positive value proposition for the technology sector to respond to. And this is a critical aspect of implementation of major reforms. It's the ability to derive a positive value proposition for a collection of stakeholders who are involved in that reform. And we've often said to other regions globally, unless you get the magic ingredients right, it's very difficult to launch intelligent access. And if you can't tick the box and say that every actor in the, in the environment has derived some kind of positive value out of the proposal, then you need to go back again, and tweak the way that you're proposing the policy reform. And I think that's the lesson learned. We often, you know, we often talk to other regions around their attempts to, to shift and implement intelligent access in their region. And often they just haven't quite got the policy settings right. And if you don't have them right, then you're not moving off from a solid foundation. Um, but I'd welcome Anthony Chris's views on, on that question as well.
3: Yeah, thanks, Gav. Uh, just very quickly, Anthony, um, I think there's a couple of things for regulatory reform. The first one is like digitisation in this context shows you that regulatory uh, reach can be actually quite extensive. So Gavin showed you some of those really innovative vehicles and they're all in isolated locations. So you can kind of better effectively regulate in new environments that maybe historically we couldn't when we had guys on the side of the road. Um, in terms of regulatory flexibility it really shows you that you can kind of adapt regulation to kind of diversity of needs in industry so even like Tom Marsh's example timber trucks on frozen roads it's a very kind of precise industry with a particular need in the Australian context long kind of road extensive, you know, super long vehicles that are around mining and things like that. Some of those issues are about regulating for speed, for weight, for location. So, high levels of regulatory flexibility. And um, the third thing is about partnership. So, suddenly regulation is engaging more participants in the regulatory task. So, we've got third-party providers who are doing the kind of providing the tech, working with industry, highly flexible, responsible, responsive to industry needs and fully aware of what, how industry works. This is one aspect of their work, of a real range of work they do with industry. And so the regulator is really stepping back and kind of got the macro picture about what they want from a compliance and the technology about making that effective is being handled by a range of participants who know that well and are responsive to industry needs.
0: Thanks Chris, and thanks Gavin for that. Um, I just have a few slides before we finish up the webinar for today. So we have a variety of sessions coming up that you might be interested in. Uh, For more information on these sessions and to register, please visit our website, the link is below. After we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. Uh, Please take a minute to send us your feedback. It really helps us to know what you liked or didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have for our future webinars. Once again, today's session is being recorded and we will send you the link to the recording when it is published on our website. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe and well and enjoy the rest of your day.
3: Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, Anthony.